Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. And welcome to a new episode of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. And on this episode, I'm chatting with Natalie Brofman, who is costume designer on The Handmaid's Tale Season 3, Quibi series Most Dangerous Game starring Liam Hemsworth and Christoph Waltz, and Season 2 of Stephen Knight's brilliant Apple drama C starring Jason Momoa. Along with those shows, Natalie has previously worked on Alias Grace, also by Handmaid's author Margaret Atwood, miniseries 112263, Netflix's Hemlock Grove, and transporter the series in the interview we discuss stepping up to take over the reins of handmaids from the original designer and crabtree just as the amount of costumes in the drama grew to an extraordinary amount we also chat about some of the amazingly sharp suits she created from scratch for most dangerous game and joining the unique drama sea where she has to design clothes for blind characters in a post-apocalyptic world. If you'd like to hear more behind the scenes interviews, don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast by searching for Geek Town Radio. This will also give you our weekly Geek Town Radio podcast, which brings you all the latest TV, film and gaming news. You can also go to the website at geektown.co.uk for your daily news stories and all the latest UK and US TV premiere dates. Natalie was lovely and a joy to talk to. Here's the interview. Hope you really enjoy this. Well, it's lovely to be able to chat with you. You're working on some great shows. Before we get into the individual shows, how did you get into the industry in the first place? Well, I, I wanted to be an opera singer. <laughs> okay. Not and something you always hear. I'm very good, but I'm not great. Right. So, and I didn't want to just be stuck in the core for the rest of my life. Um, I also, I mean, I love the theater and the opera and all that, but it's it's almost like it's like a calling. It's like a nun's call. Like it's, you know, there's no money in it. Yes. So it's, you know, um, I think my first year I made $11,000 and then I got laid off. (laughs) It wasn't even a basement flat that you could afford, you know, that kind of thing. Just, yeah. Um, And then uh, because I already knew how to sew and paint and draw, I figured that costuming was the way I could stay in the environment, you know, and still be around all of that. But then as, again, financially, that's not viable. So So I ended up, um, because of my studies, I ended up learning as well set design Mm. and of course, full finishing and murals and all that sort of thing. I ended up having an interior business for a while, uh, interior design. And um, then somebody suggested I apply at the film union and I did, and they hired me the next day and I haven't really stopped since. (laughs) (laughs) But of course, you know, you start in at the entry level and I've literally done every position in the department. I could fill in anywhere. So. Well, well, yeah, I mean, on Handmaid's Tale, you were working on it from 
from the beginning, weren't you? But yeah, that was an accident as well. <laughs> <laughs> I had been designing some things already, but I knew Anne Crabtree from a decade ago where I was her assistant designer on a pilot that she'd done in Toronto. Right. And it was funny because I was working on um, another Margaret Atwood book, Alias Grace, that they were doing, uh, CBC was doing here. Yeah. And I was the fabric purchaser. Again, it was just a job that I had also by accident. And then uh, I said to Anne, well, I can't really just leave. And, you know, anyway, I did, all, I did all my purchasing and got it in such a way that I could actually migrate over to the other Atwood show for that summer. It was all things Atwood that summer. <laughs> <laughs> and as a matter of fact, I saw Margaret the second time as, an, as a background small, small part that she had in both shows right. and she looked at me in the fitting room and she went weren't you <laughs> <laughs> yes it was anyhow um so i came in as a buyer assistant designer we weren't really sure what i was i was just there to help her out mm. and then the supervisor ended up quitting right so we and it was massive because it's this it's basically the person who runs the rest of like all the financials and the human resource everything like the, the big cog so it was a natural fit that i would just pick that over so i ended up doing kind of a little of everything assisting buying supervising kind of everything <laughs> yeah yeah and you're you're now full-blown costume designer on the third season weren't you that you took was, over yeah 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 well that so, was the other thing um she ended up deciding to take on another project and i thought oh, i'll throw my hat in the ring what the hell and then they were like thank god you did that <laughs> <laughs> because it was just a nice it was you know i knew the stories and all the actors and uh the, you don't have to explain it to me why there are no buttons on the shirt and how come they're only wearing teal um you know which happens if you're coming being thrown into this new thing you know yeah. it's uh, it's daunting it's a lot of knowledge and, and things you have to figure out and work with because you've given such tight parameters of color and so on yeah you know? yeah no i mean the the costuming in that show is just stunning from start to finish and it's so distinctive and obviously an easier transition for you than it would have been for some other people on something like handmaid's yeah. tale because you were already there um, yeah. When you took over in the third season, what sort of things did you change on existing stuff and you know things that were new? On the handmaids themselves, it wasn't the dresses stayed the same because you, for sake of storyline, you don't, yeah. you know, here's a whole new outfit, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't. So of course you want to make it a seamless transition. Um, because we were going into different scenarios, like we now were traveling to Washington, and that opened up a whole new realm of design possibilities because it was supposed to be more of a um, theocratic city like it was pious and it was austere and so I had to create an army and I had to create differences nuance, different nuances for the clothing in that city Yeah, and it started out with that's how the veils came to be like the coverings the face coverings uh, it started out with the, the the biggest tweaks I did to the handmaid's costumes was there was a video that Fred was making as a propaganda video yes yeah and he has on this little capelet uh, right. June. and that was the first big change I had done because basically we had to cover up all existing flesh because he wanted to show the world that he has such a pious house and he rules it with an iron fist, which he kind of does, but not really. Yeah. <laughs> he thinks he does. Yeah, um, kind of. Yeah. And uh, then eventually when we got into Washington, then the veils were incorporated and that became you know, the uniforms for that. Uh, in terms of Serena Joy and uh, Fred, the Waterfords, Serena Joy has an incredible arc of where she comes from having burnt her house down and having lost her baby, being very depressed, 
getting hand-me-downs from the neighbor while she's at her mother who's putting her down for being a failure and mm. all of that. And basically, suck it up, girl, is, is the message. To her, all of a sudden, rising slowly, becoming into her own. And I do that with the tailoring, basically, with her. Um, the, ch- the shape of her dress has changed. It was no longer 50s housewife. Yeah. It became, everything became tighter. Uh, it became like the ice blonde, Hitchcock ice blonde is sort of what I based her on. Right, yeah. Uh, until she went back in, up until she went to Washington, where she wanted to appear like the beaded housewife and she got into that 50s shape again yeah it's really yeah. interesting how the costumes tell the story almost as much as the script does when mm. in a show like particularly on a show like that you know yeah. um i really love that with the costuming you, a lot of it's so much more subliminal than it is with everything else you know there's obviously a, a very distinct color palette with a, a show like that are you working directly with the cinematographer on sort of figuring that out what are the sort of discussions there yeah every two weeks we had a new episode to make mm. so you would start shooting one and then you're prepping already the next that monday morning on the next one and sometimes trying to keep all the storylines straight is, yeah i can um, imagine and and ivan strahovski had had a baby two months prior to shooting right so apart from having to work with the figure changing like she kept shrinking on me you know that kind of thing <laughs> But um, uh, so literally I would measure her every three days almost. It was crazy. But the beginning, at the very beginning, we shot the first six episodes simultaneously with everything around her, though. So in other words, everything but her scenes. Right. So when she arrived, we had to do all the scenes with her in it. So we did six episodes, I think up until Christmas. I I was losing my mind. (laughs) Anyhow, but we would have these weekly meetings to sit down with everybody, all the heads of department, the production designer, director, writers, and whether they were there virtually or they were there physically. um, And we would discuss, you know, what works, what doesn't work, what's their plan. Um, Like, for example, there's the one scene where the hospital room is completely stark white. You know, and there's reason why the colors are so between the two commander wives, even the colors are so jarring because mm. of it's a it's a power thing and, and who's stronger and who's more important. And it's about all of that. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's just such a beautiful show. Do you have a favorite character to dress out of that show? Well, Serena, because she's the fashion palette. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I guess. But, um, in terms of, I mean, yes, I mean, Serena, Serena, Naomi, all the main wives, they never have ever, ever repeated any one outfit. Right. Everything is a new outfit and so built from scratch. Um, Eleanor was also very interesting. Commander Lauren wife, Bradley Mm. Whitford's um, screen wife, because she had such an interesting layering, onion skin layer of of personality that I could really play with clothing with her. Mm. Um, When, as she was sliding in and out of reality, I stopped changing her clothes and left her in the same dress, but we kept making it ever so slightly larger because when you go into that kind of mental state, you forget to eat and you forget to wash. Right. So the dress got a little bit schmutziker, you know, and a little bit bigger. And then she had this, we hand crochet this shawl that was like a net and she actually stuck her fingers through it mm. and she would wrap herself in it and it was a double-edged sword in the sense that it was a net that caught her because she was stuck there but at the same time it offered her security yeah it's that, makes sense. You know, so it's yeah. that kind of play any well, i know this is probably like picking out your favorite child but any particular costume that you <laughs> it's hard because there's technically there are two that stand out to me in terms of, of the tailoring that we had to build actually three of them but it was the one where after the benediction of the children, Serena had gone through that depressive state where she had worn these frumpy clothes. And then she reappears at this party and Fred sees her for the first time. Mm. Uh, and that's truly where I built the Hitchcock blonde on her because it's I, I put her in a two-piece suit with this beautiful sort of, I want to say it was almost like an Elizabethan ruff 
was the premise for this collar line. It was because all of a sudden she appeared, you know, here I am and you can't touch me anymore. Yeah. That kind of, so it was that one. And, um, and we didn't see much of it, but at the very last commander wife dress she wore, it was the brightest color she had because I kept bringing the color lighter and lighter so that she was most potent then. We built this skirt that was pleated on the bias, which is on the cross grain, which means it's really hard to work. And it's hand pleated on the diagonal and it is beautiful. So those are the, my two very favorite outfits. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing, of course, with that season, compared to all the other seasons, I mean, Anne escaped at the right time because the amount of costumes that you must have gone through on that season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like she left you with it and just went, I see it. She obviously well, read the script beforehand. <laughs> oh, my God. When I, when they came at me with that, I, so <laughs> this was also when we were about to shoot in Washington, it was as the government was, uh, I think it was shut down or something. Washington had been shut down or I can't remember exactly. I'm not, I'm not from the States, so I, I'm yeah. only kind of hearing, you know. Mm. I mean, we are the tail of the dog, so to speak, but we're not in it in the thick of it. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, they had just shut down and then they just reopened opened and literally we had 24 hours to shoot that scene so initially it was shot on i think we were the 15th of february and then they were shutting it on the 17th or something like it was somewhere around that date and we were supposed to have done it at the end at the beginning of march so not only did they pull it up two weeks (laughs) (laughs) they added i think it was 350 people in the end just handmaids that we had to build <laughs> and we had also more but we had more Marthas because we had the train station as well we were yeah. building Marthas and we built the army which was 100 people we built more commanders which was a whole new uniform we built more ants and then everybody had their you know the new veils the handmade veils themselves are 17 plus pieces wow really yeah they're really all these little triangles so because they have to sit so tightly yeah 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 they don't have a band across the top so they just literally sit on your shoulders wow so yeah we, everything we built except the footwear and even that trying to find 300 pairs of anything <laughs> well yes that's yeah. insane just yeah. i mean I- and then two weeks after that we did the 52 lady gala dresses each dress individual oh, yeah plus the cast and the suits <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I mean, I, how big is the team that you're using? How many of them are you? Permanent team, like for the whole entire run, we had 15 of us. And that's including bra- aging, bra- which isn't very small, actually. Hmm. Uh, I had a couple of uh, people working outside of the room just because I didn't have the physical space to put anyone anywhere. Yeah. We were on top of each other. We were like four people to a cutting table because it was <laughs> kept getting more, you know, more and more. But we became like a production line. It was just bananas. I actually have a video that I will post on Instagram uh, eventually. I've been posting a lot of stuff because of the Emmys coming up. Yeah. Yeah. where I walk through literally the room just filming and it looks like a factory. <laughs> it's it's the very last scene. Oh, yes. And then there's all the very last scene where we had the 300 children. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's that one. <laughs> oh, man. And we, that we, we filmed that that whole sequence of scenes through the woods in one in a five-day shoot, like during a week. Wow. Dressed over a thousand children. <laughs> you know, literally we would, because it was a night shoot, we would bring it in, then we'd uh, turn it over, like wash everything that was touched the skin. And then so and then on the cutting table, we dumped these baskets of socks and gloves and hats and, and everybody, like everybody into the pool. Come on now. You know, we're like trying to find the mates to all the, the pieces. So it was wow. cute. <laughs> yeah. And only for that, we only ever had the 60 handmaids. And, and really, we well, we'd only ever really dressed 40 of them. The other 20 were sort of a slush fund for sizing right so right yeah yeah that's insane and i mean of course you mentioned washing stuff there when you go back you're gonna have a whole extra layer of stuff that you've got to deal with because of all the covid precautions so 
But yeah, let's that, not even talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's going to be fun. So that's Handmaid's Tale, which is one of the shows you've been working on. The other thing you did recently, Most Dangerous Game as well. Yeah, that was um, a lot. Which, it's a Quibi series, so although it is a series and it's 15 episodes, it's essentially a movie-length yes, thing, piece. isn't it? feature chopped up into pieces yeah. yeah it is a feature chopped up into pieces so I watched it recently and really loved it I thought they did an amazing job with it with Handmaid's Tale it's slightly different because although it is sort of modern day it's this out history modern yeah. day so there's very distinctive costumes yeah. costuming a show which is set you know in a modern day in a modern city how do you go about kind of creating a look for that you know you have a lot of discussions with the writers and, and the director as well like Nick Santoro I, I was on the phone with them quite a bit beforehand um, and then eventually Phil uh, Abram who was the director got in on the conversation as well and we, we would talk about because it's essentially I'm the vehicle to their vision mm. it's not my story I'm not making it up it's, yeah. it's their story so I have to find out from them what how do they see it and what's your vision and then I will throw in my two cents and then somehow we come to an agreement of what you know and then of course you make prototypes and so on and so forth but it all starts with um, the discussions and then I will put together mood boards either sketches or create these boards where I would do a big collage then more discussion to see where, if I'm going in the right direction of what they want to see on screen eventually they're obviously quite apparently normal sort of everyday <laughs> outfits because that's what he's got to look like on screen but there are yeah. some incredible suits in that as oh, well <laughs> um, Christoph Waltz character particularly has an amazing suit and uh, Chris Webster's character he plays Nixon in it very very sharply dressed the pair of them so were those crafted suits or were yeah. those that you you made those oh yeah yeah yeah. well chris webster had 10 of those <laughs> right because of the different you know uh, yeah, the stages and blah 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 and yeah. just then there's a stunt guy and then if he blows out a pair of trousers or yeah, yeah. you know like me so um yeah that was hand dye oh not hand dye but it was dyed at a textile mill mm. that color it was a kingfisher blue i was trying to do I was, trying, I was crafting him after john steed basically okay yeah i can see that yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh if you look at everything about him it's just a little bit it's it's the vest is fitted and the pocket are not straight they're on a slant and everything is ever so slightly not off the rack yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. everything is just a little uh we even made the braces um <laughs> the shirts were made as well uh because i had to get the right blue right uh, and the same thing with christophe he has two different looks in the show and they're very similar but different i was playing with tonality um i also crafted because he was he was saying that his father was originally an austrian and he came to detroit and so he has a european flair to him and i would think that if he's his father worked in a in a car factory that he would want to be the consummate gentleman mm. as the as the son. So what would he do? He would dress himself a little bit British yes. in, in the meanings of being a uh, that classic you know Savile Row. Uh, so I was playing with with tonality and because of the the Dodge's looks are, were mostly blues. I was trying to keep him in earth tones and ochres, but still with blues mixed in. So they were similar but very different. I can see that. Yeah, and I mean Dodge himself, which is Liam's character, spends large majority of it. In in running gear pretty much yeah. was that something that was scripted because you know he leaves the house to go on a run that's the excuse that he gives for leaving the house in the first place was that actually in the script what he was sort of wearing or was that something that sort of came up from the costuming they left me pretty much to do there what i wanted um, we had to build the main the main outfit we built we built all of that um we had to build 36 of them for the different continuity pieces <laughs> <Right>. so, <laughs> yeah 
and then of course you know with him as well as discussion because he was a he was a uh, an athlete in the uh, in the track team in, in high school so he already had it's professional gear but not really yeah you know so i had to do a fine line and also purchasing wardrobe like that everything is logoed and we can't do that for legal reasons we can logo so yeah yeah and try and find 36 of anything in the same size yeah always <laughs> so, a problem yeah yeah so there were a few other costumes for him but that's pretty much the thing that he's in most of the time i think any other particularly interesting stories about sort of costuming stuff on that any favorites or well i mean i built all of the bad guys so i i, I thought they were all fun to build because it was a it's like a caricature of a bad guy you know? yeah, yeah there's a certain yeah. element if you ever play a video game where where there's kind of a bunch of different characters and you can sort of tell them from silhouettes they're almost a bit like that because you've got like the girl in black leather you've got the cowboy you've got the you know so no that's exactly what it was and even the um the leather jackets and all of that that was also we built all of that as well because we needed so many of them and the premise was that his daddy taught him how to hunt and so daddy made that's daddy's jacket that he made out of all the stuff he killed (laughs) so so, you know that kind of thing so uh and um um, Natasha too her leathers she had interesting boots because that was her weapon really so yeah. you know yeah, I had to figure out yeah I think that, and the hardest piece I think we had was with this the the ice picks for yes <laughs> that, he has this ice pick thing that sits on his yeah. arm and he has to yeah. so was was that I, I didn't know whether that would be something you did or whether it was sort of a production design thing or or was it just fitting around it the costume or it was, yeah it was it was props well we actually the reason why we had 10 jackets is because he didn't always wear it because this it's a props thing and it would not only it was very heavy so it would slide around as well but also these these devices would come out sometimes at the most inopportune time <laughs> <laughs> we we made many the suits that accommodated that contraption, literally the arm was four inches larger right. on the right. So we had, I think, six suits like that. So three for him and three for a stunt guy. And then the other ones were normal size for just when he wasn't wearing this thing. So it was that kind of a... That was a, that was a beast. that was the one big beast that we were trying to accommodate, like for us, for our department. Um, and I think the other the other hard thing, really, in terms of story, wasn't hard, but yeah, it was hard. It was it was tough to keep keep your head around. Is the continuity of the blood and the injuries that Dodge had to go through? Yes, if, you know he would do this, and because he had a bloody nose, so then we had the strip of blood here, and then you know, so it was sort of a we had such a roadmap that we actually had a big diagram on the wall <laughs> for the girl who was doing the breakdown because every time there was one outfit that had a new stain on it we had to make a few others that were the similar yes you know and then we had like one a one a b one a b c yeah i mean that's the thing you forget that there must have to be just multiple versions of this stuff oh, you know yeah. I, and if he just does something yeah. you've then got to make that replication yeah oh, what a nightmare. You know, crawling across the floor and now his knees are dirty damn it <laughs> <laughs> can't you just stay clean uh, <laughs> I really love that. Do you know if that's gonna if they've any talk of them doing more of those, or if that's gonna be a one-off? I don't know, but I mean, it ends uh, with him looking at a new file. Yes, could, yeah. You know, Walsh looks at a new file. Um, they were such a fantastic team to work with. Everybody knew what they wanted. The answers were quick. It was just great. Like it was a great little show, and it was very quickly shot. I think we did it in four weeks, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, something like that. Like it was quickly shot and. Yeah, I just had I had a great time. It was an, it was something I was doing in between the two big shows that I was doing now. So and Handmaids, right? So it was yeah. perfect, and it ended right at the same time. And then I had one day off, and I went on to the next show. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
Yes, nothing like keeping busy. So, I mean, yeah. the the other show, which I guess, did you join C on season two or were you involved in yeah. season one as well? Yes, yeah, so you joined no, on season two. Yeah. How did you end up getting involved with that? Because I, I loved the first season of this show. The show was moving here to Toronto mm-hmm. to shoot because it's now going into an urban setting. Yes. Um, and we have a lot of things that we have this um, huge, it's called the Hearn. I'm trying to think what sort of a plant it was. Was it electrical? Anyway, it's this big carcass of a building that is just these big cement and it's hugely tall and empty and echoey and drippy and and perfect for what we need. (laughs) um, But we have that uh, and we have on the outskirts, we've got smaller towns that they've transformed into cities. So it was just a perfect setting to come here to do that. Right. Okay. uh, Yeah. And I I met with the the designer, Trish Somerville, who started the initial look and she's amazing. She's lovely. And also everyone on this show is really lovely, too they're all everyone's so polite it's it's odd (laughs) (laughs) nobody loses their temper and (laughs) (laughs) it's great i know you won't probably be able to talk about specifics of things but in terms of approaching costumes where you're designing for people who are essentially blind on the show because that's the sort of main premise of it uh, has that been an interesting challenge coming up with sort of ways of designing stuff for that it is such a great challenge I am now so completely thinking outside of the box that when I'm now looking at to build normal clothing, I actually have to pull myself back into the box. <laughs> I'm liking being outside of the box. And it's funny because I have this amazing team. I have now 57 people working in on the show with me. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's a lot of people and plus uh, contractors outside as well. That's how big it is. Again, I took over a show and it grew a lot. Yeah. yeah. yeah I was going to say it wasn't that big in the... F- no, no. Yeah. <laughs> But um, I have the most amazing artisans. And it's funny because I've got these brilliant tailors and sewers and uh, seamsters and seamstresses and and leather workers that when I say, okay, I need a, I need a vest. Mm. I need a leather vest with a fabric background. So I hand, I hand over the drawing and I cut, I get back the most precise vest. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to go there and say, hi. So it has a look like someone who can't see has made this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so can you take it apart? And, <laughs> and it's funny because everyone struggled with thinking outside of the box at first. And now we're in the groove. So it's another thing, but it was funny how it was a great sort of study in human psychology psychology, uh, mm. the, the, the craftsmanship, um, you know, the, the precision, um, the, it's, yeah. And what's happened now is what's coming out are these incredible pieces of art that almost, I hope they get to be showcased on the show because they are really, wow, you know, yeah. from the artisans, what they've been creating. It's in uh, any way. So you're asking, so basically what I have to always think is, and actually it's funny because when I shop for fabric now as well, I go into the store and I do that with fur and leather and all sorts of things. I actually go and just touch it. I don't actually look at it. Right. And it's funny because all the people that I shop in the stores now, they say to me, you're shopping really strangely. You just touch the stuff all the time. Like you're touching it before you look at it. And I say, yeah, because this is how we have to build. Yeah. Um, we dye things. We try to do it naturally so that there's a, an olfactory sense that you can smell it, you know, um, or I, for example, I have things that I rub oils into to give a sense of smell <laughs> because we actually have some um, seeing impaired people actually working on the show. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, it's tactile. It always has to be tactile and you have to, it has to be acoustical as well. So mm. the whole show, it's, it's, it's a brilliant creative project. I, I'm so blessed to be on it, honestly. <laughs> yeah. He's an amazing 
amazing guy because it's Stephen Knight who was uh, did Peaky Blinders over here, which I you know I know. That's, right. that's, that's yeah. him. Yes, correct. Yeah. I love Peaky uh, Blinders. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just such a great show. This I love as well, and it's so brilliantly put together, and it's such an interesting idea because you've got this post-apocalyptic kind of future, but it isn't like anything else you've ever seen before, and you've got this then this interesting idea of everybody being unable to see apart from these few children and i really loved it i I thought the first season was brilliant so um i mean i'm I'm guessing you're not working on that right now because (laughs) because nothing's working right now but i'm I'm at home i just bought a bicycle (laughs) 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 might be a few more months no i don't know um there's there i don't know so you know we all thought we'd be back in three weeks and this was in march and then you know a month later and then a month later and then they were talking about june and now we're doing in july and possibly august we don't know yeah so you don't know when you're you're gonna end up returning i mean are those the main two shows you're working on now handmaids and and c or have you got anything else i'm actually not gonna go back for the i'm not doing the fourth season of handmaids um because it's too much i'm already doing seven days a week i don't have any more days left (laughs) fair enough (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah i needed to stretch my wings a little you know to to it's funny because this is the completely opposite end of the spectrum. So yeah. In terms of building and designing. Um, the other one was so tight and, and precise and, you know, had to be in, in a box in yeah. only this box. And this is completely the opposite. So it's a lot of fun. I'm very, very much looking forward to seeing it. I know everything's going to be delayed at the moment, but uh, mm-hmm. when it does eventually come back, I'm, I'm very, very much looking forward to it. So the last couple of questions are the ones that we ask everybody. So okay. the first question is... Is, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? Oh, I'm a bit of a nerd. I, <laughs> I watch <laughs> basically historical, how do I explain it? Often on YouTube, you can find, if you punch in, I don't know, uh, UK 800 AD. Right, then, okay, yeah. No? So basically what I've done is I started in March and I'm, I'm very well versed in ancient Rome and Greece and so on. But there's sort of a time period that I didn't really know much about. And that was just after the Romans left <laughs> Europe, <laughs> let's say. Um, and so I've been kind of meandering back and forth and then we dipped into the Vikings and then we dipped into the Russians and then we, you know, went into Africa and the Boer War. And so I'm doing that kind of watching and I'm making patterns at the same time. I'm building clothes because I'm bored. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd that way. Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's okay. That's okay. That's a perfectly valid thing to be watching. That's what YouTube's there for. Um, <laughs> And lastly, if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, can be something from the past, something present or something future, can't be one show that you've worked on already, which show would it be? Well, my, one of my favourite shows is just silly. It's called Laughing. Do you know it? Uh, yes, I'm aware of it, yeah. <laughs> Laughing. Um, again, it's a YouTube thing. You go <laughs> punch that in on YouTube. Um, I think anything that has to do with Vittorio Di Sica or anything of Fellini or uh, <laughs> sort of European 50s and 60s, uh, post-war, and even up to the gritty 70s, you know, when they started exploring like Serpico and that kind of thing, I would love to, I love all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. I don't know. It's Interesting. Just, yeah. I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm not usual. I don't watch normal television. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I mean, even films or something, you know, fluffy and nice like Amadeus would be nice to work on as well, but that's strictly from a costume point of view. Yeah. Yeah. Who doesn't, who doesn't like a rough and a Mozart in a rough? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, great costumes. That'd be wonderful to work on. <laughs> 
<laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, I will let you get back to your day and get off to the beach or wherever it is you want to go to. <laughs> I go for a bike ride. <laughs> yeah, go for a bike ride. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Hopefully we can talk again maybe once you've done the second season of C or whatever you're working on next. That would be lovely. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having right. me. Lovely talking to you. All right. Bye. 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 Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 